0: The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see A16Z.com slash disclosures. Hey folks, welcome. Welcome to tonight's episode of The Good Time Show. We're doing it at a slightly earlier time to just accommodate all the time zones. It's 6 p.m. Pacific time, so wherever you're you know, listening in from, welcome. This is the first time to our show. This is Sriram and Arati. We, we co-host this show called The Good Time Show. We've been doing this for the last seven, eight months or so, do it about a couple of times uh, a week. And we generally like to cover topics we like. We like to cover topics in technology, startups. We've branched out into music, fashion, creative economy, things like that. And uh, it's just been so much fun. Um, you know, I think over the last few weeks, a lot of you have been like sending us back channel messages. Keep them coming. We, you know, questions you want to ask to um, our wonderful guest list here who's going to be up on stage and the conversation, please come bring them in. And uh, with that, you know, tonight we have a really packed agenda. We have a lot of people on stage. Shriram, what are we talking about tonight and who are the people?
1: We have a very special episode at a very special time, Uh, and this is something we wanted to do for quite a while now, and we wanted to wait until we got all the right people if we could talk about it. So, unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard the word Metaverse come up, probably few times, maybe more than a few times. And, uh, you know, I would say it's probably one of the most interesting things happening in the world of crypto and technology. We really want to get all into it, right? What is it? What is already out there? You know, who who's building interesting things? And as always, we wanted to bring you all the right people to have the conversation with. And so all of these folks today uh, need no introduction because, you know, they're all really, really well known for their thoughts, for their writing, um, you know, for the stuff they've been building you know, on all things crypto, on all things uh, metaverse. So we're going to get right into it. We have a, a large group today, so let me go through. You obviously have the owner, Lee Steven Sinofsky joining us. We have, you know, somebody I work with every single day at uh, Andy Snorowitz, uh, Jonathan Lai. Uh Jonathan is OG when it comes to all things games and has been spending more and more time on all things metaverse. We have Gabby Lisen of Yield Guild. We have... Uh, Jared Dicker, who is an old friend. And I just love how Jared has gone from, you know, uh, Jared has kind of become a Twitter writing personality. So if you are not followed him already, and if you're interested in crypto, do follow him. We have Mr. Mysterious Mark Andreessen. We have, uh, you know, folks You probably need no introduction if you've been listening to the show. We have the owner Andy Blau, Blau, uh, who's obviously OG himself when it comes to NFTs and crypto. We have the founder and CEO of Bitski and probably the person I wind up talking to the most about all things Metaverse. And he's taught me the most on this topic, Donnie Dinch. We have somebody who is just super familiar to anybody in crypto uh, and outside uh, Jesse Walden. And we have, you know, somebody who is, not boring. See what I did there? Uh, Packy McCormick. So we have an amazing crew. Welcome, all of you. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm going to get right into it. And Donnie, I want to start with you. What the heck is the metaverse?
2: Yeah, great to great to see everyone. So the metaverse, I feel like has a few different definitions, <laughs> depending on who you talk to. But there's, a, there's, a, there's at least one that really sticks out uh, for me, and, and, it, and I really think this is uh, from, from Tim Sweeney, that um, he kind of defined a metaverse as you know, a real-time 3D social medium where people can create and engage and shared experiences as equal participants in an economy. And I think that that's a, a, a fairly strong uh, definition, but I don't know that it necessarily needs to be a 3D uh, medium. I think that's going to be a very fun part of it. My sort of spin on that is that I think that the metaverse is not one new place, but it is a constellation of places that we already all spend time in, but there will be this new connective tissue. And I think that's where a lot of the energy and excitement around NFTs has really started to, to head to. It's something we've been excited about for a few years, but ultimately, we see NFTs as sort of the atomic unit of the connective tissue of all these places we're spending time. But and if I had to like say one thing that I think is incredibly important ver- uh, to define a metaverse versus, like let's say, an MMO or something is that. There really needs to be an open economy as a part of this. It's a critical part of this medium where people can not only spend time and spend money, but can build businesses and build economies. And I think that's a very compelling differentiator where at least any, any definition of a metaverse probably needs to have that as a
3: component.
1: I love it. And I think we're going to come back to this quite a bit. Um, you know, Paki, can you hear us now? Can you, can you hear me? There we go. Wow. All right. Uh, You know, I had this amazing, not boring pun and it was totally lost. So I I feel like I blew my, blew my (laughs) it. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I want. I just want positive uh, feedback. That's all I need. But I, I want to kind of like add on to what Donnie was talking about. And I think one question people have is, you know, to Donnie's point, this is a word which has been floating around for a while. You heard Tim Sweeney, you know, do a famous talk about it. I'm kind of curious to get your take on why now? Why is the metaverse, you know, kind of being talked about now, and maybe kind of like how we got to this point? Because I know you've written about this quite a bit as well.
3: Yeah, for sure. So I mean, I think the, the word metaverse goes back to Neal Stevenson's Snow Crash in the early nineteen nineties. Ben Thompson actually just wrote about that and, and quoted a bunch of that today, which I thought was was very interesting. Over the past. It feels like kind of year and a half. Obviously, Ready Player One, the book came out a few years ago, then the movie came out, kind of brought it into the mainstream, but not really. And then over the past kind of year, year and a half, I mean, I think the, the big obvious thing is that we've all been stuck inside on our computers, doing everything digitally, living in Discords and on Telegrams and in WhatsApp. Uh, and on Zoom all of the time. And so, you know, there were a bunch of people, I think, who started kind of writing early in COVID and saying, like, this kind of feels a little bit like the metaverse. We're doing a lot of things digitally. I think to to Donnie's point, you know, there's a lot of connective tissue that needs to happen. You need the open economy. And so I think it's really hitting this resurgence now because people are seeing what's happening in crypto generally, what's happening with, with NFTs and saying, actually, like, this is where a lot of this stuff kind of makes sense when you mash it all together, that you can not just pay epic for skins but you can pay other people uh for skins you can work for a living in axi infinity you can do all of these things that start to feel a little bit like an economy uh and so i think that's the really important thing that kind of crypto and the conception of the metaverse have started to merge and that's when it's gotten really interesting uh, when i think people can see that maybe this is this kind of new parallel digital economy starting to form
4: I'm glad that Packy brought up uh, Fortnite, actually, and I'll, I'll put on my sort of obligatory gaming hat here um, to throw in sort of a, a couple of two cents. Um, I think it's interesting that uh, what Donnie said earlier, when when you define the metaverse as a 3D, real-time, interactive virtual space with its own sort of economy and infrastructure, and I think it's interesting that if you actually look back in, in the history of games, like, you know, video games have probably been the earliest progenitors of the metaverse. We just didn't think about it or, or call it the metaverse back then. Right. So you have MMOs like EverQuest Ultima Online back in the very in the nineteen nineties, um, that brought over like large groups of people together in 3D real-time virtual spaces. And then you had things like World of Warcraft that came along and increased those player bases to the tens of millions. And then the MMO Eve Online was famous for enabling players mm-hmm. to actually, you know, have jobs in this sort of uh, this, this galaxy inside the game, and then people could actually convert between virtual currency and fiat. Way before crypto was even a thing, and so um, I think it's interesting that um, you know the metaverse is, is huge now and it's it's top of mind for everyone. Um, but it's interesting that you know if you think about the history of video games, it actually started you know way back in the 90s you with know, this concept of uh, you know 3D virtual spaces.
1: I actually want to jump into that. So, you know, Matthew Ball, uh, you know, who's actually not here because I think he's in the woods somewhere uh, and couldn't join us today. I'm curious. Matthew Ball has kind of all these definitions of, uh, or sort of principles of what the metaverse will have. It'll be persistent. It'll be synchronous and live. uh, Have an economy, etc. John, I'm curious. How important is the 3D aspect to this because when you think metaverse we're thinking ready player one we're thinking quest world from johnny quest how important is the 3d aspect to all this or some sort of immersive virtual reality-esque experience
4: mm-hmm. yeah i think there are two parts to that question i think there's the vr part and then there is the second which is uh, a sense of presence and so um i think if, if i tackle them actually in reverse order i think um What's important about the metaverse, and I'm actually going to borrow from uh, something that Zuckerberg said in an interview recently, is mm-hmm. that um, it's the sense it, it should it should move beyond having websites or an internet that you access. To actually having you feel like you're inside of those experiences, right? So instead of just like viewing something, you're actually like embodying that experience itself. So that sense of presence, I think, is actually hugely important for for what most people consider to be the metaverse. And so in, in that way, like the internet that we have it is is not yet the metaverse because we're accessing content, but we're not inside the content, right? And in the and in the first point that you brought up with virtual reality, I think, you know, people people logically make that connection where it's like, okay, what is the medium through which I can attain sort of maximum presence, right? And, you know, virtual reality makes sense, you're sort of, you know, full full sensory immersion. Um, and I think, you know, that, that is one way to go about it. But I think, um, you know, there, there, there are other ways as well. And I think video games, for example, can be very, very immersive without actually being VR, you know, to the extent that, you know, people have their entire social lives. And, you know, with games like Axie Infinity, they're, they're creating <laughs> jobs inside of these these vibrant sort of virtual virtual economies. And so I think you can still get presence from screens as opposed to being virtual reality. Uh, but I think that's, that's the key word. Like, how do you retain presence in these experiences? That's the way I think about it.
2: I was going to just add really quick that I think that a lot of the, like, early predecessor um Sort of thoughts around what it means to be in a metaverse, around it being 3D uh, and being in sort of this immersive environment, I think was like really thought of as the only medium in which we could feel immersive prior to the existence and proliferation of the internet, social media, phones in our pockets. And I feel like a lot of that emotional connection has uh, has been established in a way that doesn't require us always to be in a 3D realm. So I, I just wanted to throw that little bit in
1: Okay, so there a m- bunch of directions I want to take this in. I think, you know, one, you know, Jonathan mentioned what Zucker talked about. He, you know, I think Zuck has been much more vocal about the metaverse and wanting to make Facebook into a metaverse company. We want to get to that uh, and some of the pieces. But I, I think I want to stay on the gaming theme just a bit. And, you know, John just mentioned something, you know, Axie Infinity. Uh, first of all, if you don't know, you know, what Axie Infinity is, you know, um, you know, Paki has an amazing piece on it. Just go read it. It's just so well done. Actually, just subscribe to Packy's newsletter. It is not boring. Sorry, I just have to work this in there. But, I, know, um, Gabby, I want to come to you because, you know, you've been super deep in, you know, I one, could you just tell us what Yield Guild is? Because I think a lot of our listeners who are not, in the gaming crypto world, may not be familiar with it. And the second, you just kind of describe to us Axie Infinity and Play to Earn and just what is happening there. Because I think that's one of the things which is pushing us into the metaverse. Sure. So um Yield Guild is called a I mean we are a
5: play-to-earn gaming guild. So we are a group of people set up as a guild in in a way it's similar to guilds in a world of Warcraft. Um, or in RuneScape, like we people come together to play games, and the difference is that the guild itself owns a lot of NFTs in different games. So for example, we have over 20,000 Axies in Axie Infinity. Now we lend out these NFTs to our players so that they can come in and play these games and actually earn some income from them. So this, this really started last year during the early part of a lockdown when a lot of people from the rural Philippines were uh, basically out of a job and they were, they were desperate, like looking for a way to make money online. They found Axie Infinity started playing and then they discover that the economic opportunity in the game was actually larger than the, game, than the jobs that they were uh, laid off from. So it, it really started <clears throat> from there and it was how the game started growing really quickly. And um, from there, we, we set up Yield Guild as a way to kind of accelerate this. Like some people call us the, the employment agency of the metaverse because we <laughs> help people come in. Like, these are mostly gamers without any crypto background. And then we kind of help people via community, via these NFTs, come in, play these games and, yeah, earn earn a living from them.
1: By the way, one thing I love is there are multiple founders here who are building things for the metaverse. I think in some ways, for example, Donnie is building the commerce layer for the metaverse in multiple ways. Um, Paki, I think, you know, for a lot of folks here, you know, who are not. You know been following the world of crypto or gaming um they've probably heard of axie infinity but they're not super familiar of what it is could you just sum up for us you know what is axie infinity what is a game where you actually make money from it how does it work
3: sure yeah so axie infinity is a play to earn game where you buy your characters as nfts so that's i think the first kind of interesting difference uh that that you wouldn't be used to in a normal game you need to buy three different axes as NFTs, and then it's almost a Pokemon-like game where you battle uh, your axes either against you know, the computer or against other players to win uh, Smooth Love Potion tokens, which are tokens that can then be exchanged for fiat uh, on exchanges. So there's people who... Uh, you know, using Yield Guild and, and other scholarship programs to borrow axes to play. There are people who are buying axes to speculate. There are people who are buying axes to play. There are people who are trading their axes in the marketplace. I think one of the the really interesting things about Axie Infinity and about Sky Mavis is that they're this kind of vertically. Integrated thing in a world that is normally kind of you know a bunch of different uh, Lego blocks being composed together. Axie decided to build its own marketplace, and its its main kind of revenue driver is taking marketplace fees, and then fees when players breed their Axies to create new Axies. And so, Sky Mavis, the organization, and Axie Infinity, of the game, aren't selling new Axies to new players who come in. As new players come in. Other players are breeding axes to create new axes to sell to the new players, and so it's this economy where all the participants are getting the upside, and the revenue growth has been absurd. That's what that what caught my eye originally. A couple months ago, it was you know three months ago, it was two million. Then it was twelve million. Last month, it was one hundred ninety million. This month, it's already over fifty million, and we're on August fourth. So it's absolutely exploding in popularity. And as that happens, there's more and more and more people who are making a living playing this game and making three, four times as much as they normally make kind of working in their, in their traditional jobs.
1: And, and I think that's worth deep diving on. So what you're saying, I mean I, I mean, I think this is super interesting, which is there are people, you know, I mean, lots of people who are essentially, you know, pushing this as a full-time career.
3: A hundred percent. So there, there are people who, and there's actually a documentary on this. I think it's called Play to Earn, if you want to go watch it. Quick 18-minute documentary talking about these people who particularly during covid Uh, might have run a small shop in the Philippines or done hourly work and made about $5 a day, they've either, there's this really cute old couple, Lola and Lolo, uh, and the husband sits in his shop and plays Axie Infinity all day while they kind of run the shop, but there's less demand than there normally would be, so he has more time and he's able to earn extra money. And they talk about kind of praying to God every day that this game doesn't go away because the game helps them pay their medical bills and do these things that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And there are more and more and more people who are now submitting, and And Gabby knows this a lot better than I do, but full resumes that look like resumes that you'd use to apply to a job to get a scholarship to be able to play and make this wow. their full-time thing.
1: Wow. Um, I mean, back and Gabby, I'm curious. So, you know, I remember, like, we've always, always read of this in sci-fi. I mean, you know, going, I think Neil Stephens is probably one of the best writers on this, you know, starting with Snow Crash, but also Ream D of people just... Working inside games, so I'm kind of curious, Gabby maybe coming to you. where do you see this going you know and of course and also I'm curious, like do you see mainstream games in the United States here you know also going down this path
5: so first of all, I don't think
1: that just being a player will be
5: where it with it stops with play to earn. The future I'm really excited about is just seeing all sorts of jobs. A lot of creator jobs become available in the metaverse, and in a way, you can see player as kind of one primitive. You need you need people to provide the what we call player liquidity, so that if you think of Axie Infinity as a country, you need settlers coming in, right? And we we see ourselves as like settlers of these new digital nations. So first are the players because you need people to play with to kind of populate any game, but then come the kind of blacksmiths, the the one the avatar creators, the level designers. The a kind of digital fashion designers, so you're going to see a lot of these creator jobs come in that mostly serve the economy inside these virtual worlds, and that's really the the future. I'm super excited about. Like, of course, it's great having gamers come in and uh, basically earn something, but um, it's actually going to enable. So much more in terms of creativity, where people come in and basically earn a living inside these games and virtual worlds.
2: Well, I think what's interesting is that generally the like with respect to NFTs, and obviously that's what Axie is really anchored on. NFTs, like for the most part, have kind of been reserved for you know a privileged few that were early into crypto and are able to you know participate in these very high value auctions. And I think what's really interesting is you start to see something like Axie creating an entire economic, like specialized economy out of that. And, you know, just like, you know, when Uber came out and people were starting to run their own sort of like town car agencies through Uber, like you're, I think you're starting to see some of that in Axie. And I, I would imagine that it is like one of many directions of other sort of like you know where can I add value? What do I want to specialize in in this digital place? So, I, if anything, I feel like the you know the the things that they're doing with you know the idea of renting different players is just it's just like a in what you're doing, Gabby, with Yield Guild is just just the start of it just kind of opening the door a little bit quick
4: question for you gabby actually just just on a similar note i'm a an, an huge fan of yield guild and, and everything that you're doing around play to earn sort of a common question that i get from people that are trying to appear from outside in to understand sort of what's happening in Axie and, and yield guild is are, are the people that are basically farming smooth love potions and, and axes so sort of folks that are you know scholars for example? Are they, were they formally gamers or were, are we introducing an entirely sort of new class of sort of creators, you know, that didn't previously even, even belong to sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the gaming category? Like, like who, who are these folks that are, that are coming in? So it's a pretty wide range. I would say that
5: all of them are gamers, but not all of them are I would say like core gamers who, who really play a lot. Some of them come more from the casual side, and we're seeing a wide age range. Paco was talking about the the grandma and grandpa that were playing in their in their spare time. And even my 70-year-old dad play uh plays Axie Infinity every day. Wow. And it's basically getting twice his pension. Right. So mm-hmm. So everyone is a gamer at some level and you do need some gaming skill because, for example, for you to uh, make money, you have to win games and earn SLP. So if you don't know how to play a game, you're actually not going to earn anything. But what it does is that it imbues the gaming with a sense of kind of mission and mastery that, that encourages people who would probably not think about gaming for maybe... Consistent two to three hours a day to do so because, um, apart from the you know just playing the game and learning mastery, there is an economic incentive tied to it. But yeah, you do you do have to have that core skill of gaming there because without it, um, you wouldn't really get anywhere.
4: Mm-hmm. I, I was just going to react to that by saying that um that there's there's a similar sort of theme called the passion economy, which I think this dovetails really nicely with, and this might take the conversation down another direction, so won't go too deep in this. But just the idea that, uh, you know, the, the future of work is people discovering that they can essentially make a living off of their passions and their talents, right? Even if they were previously considered niche. And so, in this case, let's say that you are an above-average video game player, mm-hmm. you know, but in in the metaverse and with things like guild, you can actually make a living off of that, and you know, make fifteen hundred dollars a month, which in the Philippines is, is huge, and would you know, pl- place you place you above you know m- many other service-level jobs and so i find it incredibly inspiring that it's you know it's kind of an intersection of crypto and and the passion economy and the metaverse but it's it's right. people fundamentalizing like their passions and their skills right yeah the the most
5: amazing thing about what you just said, John, is that like a lot of people consider themselves really good gamers, and a lot of times these gamers like they for example, um, they get into conflict with with their family, with their parents because it's like what are you doing you 're playing games all day, and we've actually unlocked that there is money to be made with this skill, and it 's a skill that you mm-hmm. could get to master in actually learn something from it. And what we've seen with our players is that mm-hmm. oftentimes there's a lot of pride that is unlocked and a sense of agency, sense of meaning that people get from I'm actually a good gamer and I can earn money for my family with this. That was not possible before.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. I think the theme of this being a living and you know people having careers out of this, that I think, you know, a lot of people just haven't grokked that yet. And that's just so deep and profound. Uh, I, by the way, in some ways, I think another essay I love, not to kind of just p- have a lot of pointers to Packy's work, but Packy's great essay called The Great Online Game. You know, so if you ever want the piece on how all of us are just gamers, I think that's good. Jared, I want to get to you. You know, you just tweeted like 45 minutes ago. When you're awake, you're in the metaverse. So first of all, you have A plus Twitter game. But, you know, we've been talking about gaming quite a bit. I'm curious to get your take up, you know, Obviously, gaming is part of the metaverse, but, you know, community, NFTs, Davos, what do you see as kind of, you know, working right now, which is kind of leading up to all things metaverse?
6: Yeah. So I I feel like, and it's kind of the direction where this conversation is going, but a big trend and why I feel metaverse is accelerating in both a serious, but also like a joking way is that people are feeling that both status and making money, like the examples we gave with Axie, are starting to become a lot more attainable than they were able to get in the regular world. And we're also hyper-connected, and there's developments happening in gaming, there was developments happening in finance with Metaverse 24-7 markets, and we're kind of seeing that across a variety of things, right? We're seeing that in sports, like with Zed Run and a bunch of other games where people are able to be owners of certain assets, they breed assets, they raise assets, they share an upside. And we kind of saw this as a catalyst with the creator economy. In a way, I felt that I felt that we really expedited through the creator economy when crypto really mm-hmm. started to open up a lot more um, opportunities for individuals outside of creators. And it kind of became one and the same. But you are seeing I mean, you're seeing this across I mean, I mean, especially in NFTs through crypto punks and board apes, where People are putting them as profile pictures, they're driving status, they're making deeper connections, um, they're having conversations that they otherwise wouldn't have. And when you think about the access of the metaverse, so many people, you know, regardless of where they live or what they do, and especially during COVID, we're very likely not going to have these conversations or meet these people. So our ability to achieve and gain kind of this like status and identity and everything kind of layering on top of that I think it's been like one of the most ultimate unlocks. And we saw that with NFTs and, you know, we're seeing it through that evolution, but I think we're going to continue seeing that more and more and more and more. So you could think of like the metaverse as, as really a place where people feel like they could get more out of the value that they create than what they were traditionally getting, whether that was in the job or even in the physical world. And, and like, that's where I think all of this comes together and is just absolutely amazing. And we're just in the beginning of it. And the example of Axie is a great one because you don't just have to be a creator or market yourself, which was kind of the way that we did this on Web two, right? Like the better, the better your tweets, the louder you were, the more interviews you did, the right. more popular you are. When it comes to crypto and things happening online, you know your status is attributed to uh, certain actions that you take and things that are happening on chain. And
1: you're well, really I mean, let me—I mean, good tweets still count. Yeah, fair, <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't
6: be here without that list. <laughs> serious. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I'd say like, I mean, for me, I feel like that's what's accelerating in so many different ways that people are feeling incentives to do certain things online that are bringing value, not just in them financially, but for them socially. And that's just a tremendous unlock uh, that we're seeing through all of these metaverse activities. And this is a
3: super half-form thought on my part. But when you just were talking about that, it reminded me of the famous Eugene Waypost status as a service. Oh, great Where. Post. You know, where like you come to a new platform and when it's early, it's easier to gain followers. And then over time, it gets harder and harder and harder. And this feels like almost the kind of ultimate manifestation of that, where if this is a new economy, then being early and adding value early and getting involved early gives you this kind of like, you know, just like being early on Twitter and getting a bunch of followers. You're almost like grabbing real estate or a piece of this big new economy if you're early and active in crypto. Which is this a fascinating concept? Where if you get to rebuild kind of everything from scratch digitally with the new economy, being early and and making a contribution
7: is really really rewarded. Yeah,
5: literally lit as well with virtual real estate.
7: Exactly. Yeah, and maybe just to pull on this thread. I think like one one thing that we've been sort of dancing around but not explicitly like uh, teased out is the fact that you know when when you're early to platforms like you know. In crypto generally bitcoin ethereum you know you benefit financially and that's because you know the 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 people doing the work in these systems who are earning you know the tokens earning the bitcoin owning owning the ethereum are generally you know early were generally early adopters at the outset of those networks um they were developers they were technologists they were sort of the first to realize the potential before everyone else. And that's natural for any new technology. And similarly, I think you're starting to see you know the same thing happen with you know more consumer facing stuff. So like any technology, you know, it starts with developers and technologists and then eventually everyone else adopts it. And you know at the cusp of any new consumer technology, you know, gamers are tend tend to be there first very often.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's so a really gamers good
7: point. are you know are are first, you know, playing Axie earning from that. And and what's different about you know, the metaverse and crypto versus say the passion economy is they're not just earning an income, they're actually earning an ownership stake in the success of, of these networks. Just like if, you know, you earn some Bitcoin, you, you own a stake in the network itself and can benefit as the network grows, as the the value appreciates, so that's that's a really important difference and and very very strong incentive to jump in and participate. And to Jared's point, it's why things are accelerating so quickly.
0: That makes sense. So Jesse, I guess you know, just leading, uh, following from that, uh, what role do you think crypto is going to play in metaverse as such?
7: Well, I think so. Th- I think that there's a few things. One is it's access, right? So it's, it's the ability to transfer. This value that I just described, the value of, you know, owning a piece of the the, the games that you play, the, the networks that you use every day, the ability to transfer that value instantly to anyone, anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, some, you know, a huge new unlock. Silicon Valley knows very well if you want to get the best people in the world to contribute to building your thing, you got to give people equity, ownership in the form of stock options as an incentive. Um, and that's worked really well. And now it's possible to sort of like open up that same uh incentive to literally anyone with an internet connection. So, you know, if if that's key to the metaverse's growth, then crypto is probably the best tool for the job because you can move that value at, you know, the same w- the same cost you move information um and in the same way with just bits, no sort of you know, legacy financial rails. And then the other reason I think crypto is is super super important um for the development of the metaverse is, you know, like when when you're building on a platform that's controlled by someone else. Building on Mark Zuckerberg's platform, for example, he can turn it off. And you know, in in the real world, that's just not true. In most developed countries, you know, there's there's rule of law. There's there's no one person, for example, who can just take away your um, your land in the physical world. And I think you know that rule of law, the the, the ability for people to have you know trust that the world's not going to get yanked from underneath them is what underlies, um, you know, growing free market economies. Um, and crypto sort of provides that trust layer for the metaverse to really emerge, for the economy in the metaverse to really emerge. It allows for, like, free markets without the fear that the market or the rules of the market are going to get yanked from underneath.
0: That's great. That makes a lot of sense, especially on, like, building trust and building a trust layer in the metaverse. hmm
1: you know I want to go to Donny here you know because I think Jesse just stuck on something which is I would say interoperability and not one person owning this and Donny I know you- I want to get into what are the building blocks we need. What are the protocols? What are the pieces? So I'm kind of curious, right? So you know, if if you want to get interoperability, what do we need to go get there? You know, what do you need the platforms to support? What needs to happen? You know, at a technical layer and and from an economic perspective, you know, just talk to us about what is going to enable this interoperability.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, I think it's you know, it, it's certainly an uphill challenge, and I think that. I think there's a few different layers that you kind of need to think about. I think certainly you need to think about like an ownership, a transaction, sort of an economic layer, which I think blockchains help provide. They basically provide sort of a a global source of truth of, you know, who owns what and what that stuff can do. And then uh, you need the application layer, the platforms that, you know, whether it be a game or uh, you know, a social product or you know, clubhouse, whatever, to sort of be able to support a certain set of standards. What am I going to do with this content that people own? Whether it's a currency or or, or a digital good, and it's not going to be easy. I and, I and I think this is this is probably leads to why I think that it's you know, the metaverse is more of a constellation of places uh, of who agrees to start supporting certain standards. And, you know, we have a sort of a comp for this. If you look at, sort of, uh, you know, to some degree, the automobile industry, uh, when you when you buy a vehicle, uh, let, let's say you buy a Range Rover, it's a Range Rover across the whole planet. Um, but, you know, it, the, the steering columns on a different side in, in the States, you know, maybe the bumpers are different in Australia, these different regulations. And so we already have this, this construct of, hey, if you want to create a good that is going to operate in this sovereign space, you're gonna to have to abide by those rules and regulations. And meaning they provided a set of rules and regulations. I think digital platforms will do the same. And I think that will help influence the sort of the standards of how assets have this, you know, interoperable ability to traverse from, you know, one game, one place to the other.
1: And in you know, Donnie, I think maybe following from that, you know, I'm kind of curious to get your perspective. Uh, obviously, you know Mark you know, got a lot of attention when he talked about Facebook, really just focusing on being a Metaverse company. I'm kind of curious to get your take on what role uh, or what direction do you see the large platforms heading in? Because you know they all have you know, huge existing assets, platforms, be it hardware or software or just online networks, which are all probably going to play a part here. Where do you, how do you see them headed? And each one of them is probably very different.
2: Yeah, I mean I think that in and there's probably I mean you could probably uh, you know add some to this as well, but I think a, a big component Well oh, I of just let is... you
1: take the tricky questions that I I don't want to get yeah. in trouble for answering.
2: Okay. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> 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 um you know, I think that all of the the bigger like fan companies in general, or at least the social ones, uh, They make money off of creators and there is no upside from, you know, selling it, you know, from creating a tweet. And obviously Twitter is doing things to help monetize creators. I think inevitably it is, this is a place for economic activity. A social product is a place for economic activity. The good that you're providing is whether it's entertainment, whether it's a video, whether it's, you know, and, and I think to the extent that these businesses can move and in a, in a direction where their primary source of monetization is less and less, uh, anchored on ad-based revenue and more on something that is complementary to the creators making revenue. I think that's an important um, aspect. And I think, you know, Zuck kind of talked about this as well as like, you know, thinking about not only just bringing people to Facebook, but how can we help people build businesses on Facebook? And I think that, you know, there's a, I guess there's a plethora of a set of tools and and, and I'm sure Facebook has as big as ambition as anyone, but I, I think that that's where it starts is, you know, let's start enabling this as be an, a place of economic activity for all the people that are, you know, taking the time to contribute and make this place worth anything.
1: I love it, you know. And also thank you for not getting me in trouble with that. That's uh, I think that's actually a, the react forms is such a deep topic we can get into. Okay. I think on the theme of, you know, metaverse, I think one very important piece is going to be the idea of community and ownership and governance. In fact, like if you think about the plot of Ready Player 1, it's really about, you know, well, you know, who gets the keys and, you know, who winds up running the metaverse in some way. So, Jared, I know You've been thinking and writing a lot about this uh, communities, DAOs, and how they all intersect. So, just talk to us a little bit about the role of community, um, and especially around DAOs and community incentives, because I think they're all you know interconnected in a very interesting way.
6: Yeah, I think um, I think what's really important with this metaverse topic when we think about communities is to really look expansive across like everything that's happening, not just in gaming or even in, like, virtual worlds like Decentraland or Sandbox, but also things that are happening on platforms like Mirror and um, things that are happening in the DAO community as well. And, like, I think I think what we're seeing is that there is uh, a strong desire for a lot of these environments and experiences to be community-owned. And you're seeing that both in terms of... Um, how we're incentivizing people, not just kind of the creators and the deliverers of the company, but also the participants within it, as well as kind of like the incentives of how you earn and how you drive value. And what we're seeing in kind of a DAO structure, and I kind of wrote about this with with a bunch of folks on Darkstar, is that DAOs are kind of starting to show how like these metaverse cities could be structured and governed. And you really could think about it a few ways. One way, right, is like, what does this really look like for the future? How can we look at structuring ourselves and incentivizing ourselves to be um, self-sustaining? And what does governance and economics look like? Uh, Another way that I like to look at it is like, if if we had these structures that are now emerging what would that look like in pre-existing industries or businesses that, you know, are struggling at this time? And like, I like to think about my background is in news and in media. And I like to think about like the newspaper industry, especially local. And what you're seeing with Dow Structures would be such a better business model and so much more valuable for the people for the like local news environment than what we've seen with, you know, advertising and subscription models. Like if everyone within a community was a token holder for the local newspaper, and they all had shared ownership in it. It's really less about the financial upside and value that that'll bring and more about the influence that they're able to mm-hmm. bring to it. So instead of the local newspaper right, reporting on a national story that's already being covered by CNN and Fox, because the paper feels like they have to do that in order to drive revenue through advertising and subscriptions, the Dow votes on what should be covered, like. Let's find out why this 5G tower is being set up in the middle of the town, and who's behind it, and who's funding it, and how we could, you know, best best keep it or best change it. And like you're seeing a lot of that activity uh, on a lot of the creator platforms right now, especially a lot of the communities being built out of mirror. These DAO structures of doing community tokens. You have DAOs like Seed Club and Friends with Benefits that are really kind of mm-hmm. community owned and showing all the benefits that come out of that. So I think as we start to see the evolution of the metaverse. And we really start to kind of see, again, like, I I mean, it's a whole separate topic of whether or not a metaverse should look exactly like the physical world. I don't know why we are so, like, connected to that and drawn to that. Even, like, how we design it, like, looks like a city in this metaverse world. And I don't think it necessarily has to be apples to apples. But I think these DAO structures are very important to look at. And I think that what's being done on these platforms right now, how they're setting up media publications, how they're setting up uh, clubs, whether that's investment clubs or social clubs, is going to be something that should be mimicked and evolve out as we're expanding into all of these other platforms and properties.
1: Uh, I love, but thank you. That is Sorry, Donnie, were you going to say something?
2: Well, I was just going to say that like it was a very great point, Jared. We have all these interesting primitives that are now being explored, you know, DAOs being, being one of them and i think that you know if we look at like the total you know let's say mau of crypto like primitives combined it's still relatively low and and i guess what is maybe it's it's the question for jared or the entire you know the room here what needs to happen in order for that bridge to, to to reach more people like how do how do you how do how do we bridge that gap so that a lot of these new primitives become just sort of commonplace
6: yeah i mean it's it's super fascinating cuz like you look at the early days of the huffington post and a lot of the success that came out of the Huffington Post back in like 2010 wasn't their content, even though like they built a whole system for articles to go viral and to be super discoverable on search. But it was this badging mechanism that they put on community commenters. And basically, the more you engaged, the more kind of access you would earn on the Huffington Post platform, like you'd be able to curate comments and discussions, or you would be featured, or you would eventually be able to blog. And those incentives actually drove people to spend more time on the Huffington Post, create on the Huffington Post, share content there. And that was a very like intrinsic model when it came to setting up community and keeping people engaged and giving people value and now with crypto, we have these kind of extrinsic mechanisms that I think do both. I think I think they could both give you social value and feel like you're a part of something, but they now also give you financial value. You know, whether that's upside or being able to hold and earn. And I think like a lot of this is like part of it is tooling, it's UX, it's really trying to figure out how to get people to onboard. I think a lot of it has to do with marketing and writing. That's why I think. <laughs> Like everyone writing, whether it's like Jesse or Packy and so many other people that are writing about this space on the Internet is so important. Because I think being able to reach people outside of crypto or even outside of gaming or people that are just natively online uh, to better understand the value of it will bring more people over. But I just think it's going to take work like that. But it is important to think about how we built these sort of mechanisms on the Internet before it was really tied to anything extrinsically because it is something that people have grabbed onto in the past. Mm -hmm. So, so it's not too far in, it's just really trying to figure out how we connect those dots.
7: Yeah. Maybe I would add to that. I think, I think the Huffington post analogy is, is, is a good one because it sort of speaks to the the need for like really thoughtful product design to help like, you know, pull people in to these, these new sort of communities and, and systems. And I think, you know, the, the thing that's really new and exciting And I think there's like sort of a cross section happening all across crypto is ownership is this new keystone of Mm -hmm. product experiences. You know, you can own your Axie Infinities. You own a piece of the, the, the game universe you're helping to build. That's a new thing. Like you own a piece of the Bitcoin network for mining it. And I think like a big gap, you know, between people in crypto and people outside of it today is the very concept of being able to own something on the Internet. That's not well understood. You know, people are, are, are starting to understand stocks in mass culture. You know, Wall Street Bets made investing sort of like a team sport and, you know, owning stocks part, part of the culture. And now there's this, you know, next jump that needs to be made, which is like, I can own a piece of the internet. I can own a piece of the products and services I use every day. And I think that, you know, solving that problem, getting people to understand that really does belong to the class of problems that like that really good product designers solve. You know, good product designers, they abstract complexity, they simplify things, they get you through the funnel faster, they get you to understand, you know, the product you're using, how to use it faster. And I think to date, you know, crypto has been largely, you know, technologists, people are inclined to, to really get in the weeds and figure things out. But I think if we get some, some more product design thinkers mm-hmm. in the space, we'll be able to simplify this and make it a lot more accessible. More people will understand ownership. And then, again, the sort of economic or extrinsic incentives will help accelerate things even further.
5: For us at Yield, we see it very much as a distribution game. So, for example, we, I think last week we just spent like over a million dollars breeding Axie so that we can give these esteems to people so that they can play the game. We cover the upfront cost so that they don't have to pay for it. And now they can start playing and earning earning slp and having owning a part of the axie economy basically so for us one of the ways we think about it is that we're like uber for digital assets like how can we blanket the world so that people are driving axes instead of taxis right and how can we do like virtual land um people with avatars like how can we spread this across the world in as efficient manner as possible and i think there's also lessons to be learned from the kind of social gaming era where it really brought about kind of mass distribution of games to a lot of users, going from a kind of paid service to, uh, to a freemium one. But now crypto layers it with ownership, and ownership means you have to pay for something to own it. There's, kind of, uh, there's a mass and there's a cost to these items that, that have value. So how to spread that across the world is something that we, we are trying to solve.
1: I love this, Paki. I want to come to you. I think in your post on Axie Infinity, you pointed out that the number of steps it's going to take for somebody to sign up and become a part of this ecosystem. I'm kind of. I want to ask you this. Maybe the same theme which Jared and Jesse were talking about, which is, what do you think it requires from a user experience design perspective to become, you know, mass accessible, or is that not even maybe not the right frame to even think about it?
3: I think it helps, right? I think there's different on ramp So for Axie, it's the fact that you can make a living playing a game. And so there are people, and and owning part of the economy, and so there are people who are willing to go through the six six steps or so that it takes to get on. So if the incentive is so strong, then you can overcome some of those UX challenges. But there are also products like Eco out there that's trying to make it super, super easy to the point that you don't even really know that there's any crypto behind it And you're onboarding in a more familiar, kind of seamless way. And then, oh, by the way, there's crypto. And so I think that's going to be another interesting path as well when, you know, companies start having kind of a normal, recognizable interface that people use. And then things that they do that they might normally be rewarded in, you know, Uber points to get cheaper rides. Actually you have an Uber token now and so you own crypto and so you better get a wallet and then you can exchange it for fiat if you learn how to use Uniswap and blah blah blah. So I think if there's a way to kind of put value into people's hands and then they need to to learn crypto a little bit to be able to exchange it, then I think that's another kind of interesting path to to take. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so I think one of the, you know, a couple of one of the theme I want to touch on is just the idea of monetization, which I think Jesse and others talked about. I mean, Donnie, you know, in many ways, Bitski is the, you know, the commerce layer of all things metaverse. I'm just kind of curious when you think about commerce and monetization for the metaverse, where do you see that headed?
2: I think it it is headed towards, and I think this is a bit too uh to what 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 you know, Gabby's already started to accomplish with Yield Guild is it it really starts to level the playing field. Right now, we're in, like economically speaking, uh, to produce a, a good in a physical space outside of the internet, and obviously a lot of businesses are on the internet. There's a lot of legacy infrastructure that is very hard to 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 overcome as a as a fledgling upstart. You know, I love the idea of you know a handful of big brands creating, let's say you know digital clothing that can be worn in a in a virtual space and kind of going back to my previous point if that's the case that means that virtual space has published some amount of a standard that those brands had to adhere, adhere to in order for that, that those, those clothes to live there and when that when that standard is published it's kind of like pandora's box is open and all of a sudden any 10 year old kid across the planet who's really good at designing sweatshirts or something all of a sudden has you know a, a huge economic opportunity that was otherwise never there mm-hmm. and you know i think we've seen a little bit of this in roblox we've certainly seen it with what uh, zoo and and yield guild but i think that it just it, this is without a doubt the the future of work i think that for a number of reasons the economic opportunity in a digital in a, in a metaverse is an order of magnitude larger than what we've already accomplished, you know, in, uh, to date in, in a physical space. I mean, less than a hundred years ago, or maybe it's a little around 100 years ago. I mean, we were we were just like getting trains together so we can move stuff across large, you know, plots of land in order to have like the industrial revolution. I think this is just going to be an order of magnitude jump in economic activity.
1: And, and Donnie, I mean, not to make this too much about Bitsky, but, you know, when you mentioned brands, you know, you guys have obviously been working with a lot of brands and bringing them into the world of NFTs. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of the folks here are, you know, very much part of the crypto community. But when you talk to various kinds of brands, what is the kind of conversation you wind up having with them? What is the level of, I would say, understanding, excitement that you see?
2: I think that it's at a, um, at least in the way the conversations have been going for us, it's that, you know, there's a lot of brands that have had, have gotten used to or accustomed to being, you know, known worldwide, that have had a large presence, that have, you know, you know sneaker brands, whatever, whatever it may be. And they recognize that I think that there's this sort of uh, upcoming metaverse and not exactly sure what that looks like. But I think that there's an awareness that it is a huge opportunity that young and young people are spending more and more time in digital places just hanging out. I think this started, I mean, a long time ago, but obviously became uh, a big topic of conversation around kids just playing Fortnite and hanging out and not actually caring about winning. And I think that they, you know, people want to maintain whatever relevance they've had in you know the physical world, they want to make sure that they can at least maintain that same bar, if not surpass that in the digital place. So I think there's a lot of interest and a lot of activity, and candidly, a lot of optimism. Primarily because there's probably huge revenue streams behind all of this uh, to explore uh, what does it mean to be present to participate in this metaverse and how do we do that as wh- while being good actors and supporting uh, you know all of this new economic activity that that we see. And I think that. You know, Some brands are taking it a little bit more seriously than others. And the ones that are, are being very thoughtful. And I think that there's been plenty of companies that have done a really good job of reinventing themselves. And I, I imagine we're going to see a few of those that take
1: place in in, in sort of the metaverse moving forward. I love it. And Donnie and the folks team there does an amazing job there. Okay, Stephen, I want to come to you. Now, when we think about all things metaverse, uh, I would say the sci-fi on this often tends to be split. You have the Neil Stephenson-style optimistic, viewpoint and then you often have the more dystopian take of you know should we be plugged into something and be out of touch with reality and i'm kind of curious so maybe summing it up is the metaverse good for us you want
8: me to just answer that after an hour of talking about the metaverse with all you, of these esteemed guests
1: I, I mean yes i mean yeah <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean look you have you've done interviews on like you know windows security like this is not so hard for you no, I mean,
8: I, you know, I would. The way I, I, like to think of it is that there's a whole bunch of opportunity. There's a bunch of new technologies that are all coming online now that are making so many visions of the past, you know, seem much more doable. And one of my favorite things is to watch these visions, you know, come to life. Like just yesterday, I tweeted an old, like a 25 year old screenshot of testing the Office Paperclip Usability Assistant. And a whole bunch of people just pointed out, like, God, this was so ahead of its time. It really wasn't. But in order to make something like that work, it just needed a whole bunch of things that didn't exist in 1994. And, you know, there's just many more pieces that exist now than existed a long time ago. And I I don't, you know, whether something is good or bad, that takes a much longer time to figure out. And, but whether it's possible and... I think there's a lot of neat stuff on the horizon. And so it's exciting to see for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe, and I love that, very diplomatic answer. John, I mean, you've been always, I think in some ways you've grown up with this question, which is are games good for us or not? I'm kind of curious to get your take. Is the metaverse good for us? <laughs> oh, um,
4: I'll definitely embody sort of the, uh, the the gamer who spent most of his life plugged the virtual worlds. And so, um, you know, my take on the whole, like, are we spending too much time in, in front of screens? Is, is, is the metaverse just going to increase that? And it's going to be a drain in society if we're all sort of plugged into a virtual world or stuff. Look, I think the people who are asking those questions typically tend to be, you know, the sort of upper 1% of the world, um, you know, who actually are living in super interesting places and, you know, like San Francisco and New York, and they can get out and, you know, they're, they're excited to move away from screens and actually Uh, um,
1: reality privilege is the phrase Mark uses. Mark Andreessen uses for this. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they are they are reality privileged. And I think
4: the um the thing that excites me about the metaverse, um, and just in general, just having people spend time online is that uh for the majority of humanity, like what, what they encounter virtually is immeasurably richer and more fulfilling than real life. And so I think from that perspective, I you know, I'm I'm a huge bull. And on um, the metaverse being ultimately a positive um, socially, economically, you know, infrastructure wise and in so many different ways and in, in governance. And I think, you know, there, there's a long journey in, in building all of this. And I think the folks in this room you know, are, are going to play an important part in, in the audience as well in, uh, in constructing this. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get built overnight. But I think, you know, long term, like I, I, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. It's, it's going to be good for us.
1: I love that. OK, we're almost out of time. I want to do a rapid fire round where I want to go around the room and ask each of you for one idea for an app, a use case, anything that you wish somebody would build or would happen on the Metaverse. So, and Packy, I want to start with you. One idea. Oh man, this is a really hard one and I'm going to do a cop out, but I've, I've wanted this before. I want Twitter
3: profiles to just kind of take you into virtual worlds. I feel like it's the starting Ooh. point for so many of these conversations the Twitter profile is kind of a waste of space anyway. It'd be a portal into the metaverse somehow for that.
1: Uh, I love that. And to be honest, I think, like with Jack being so into crypto, you know, I, I would not be surprised if Twitter is one of the first companies to lead. And I like that's actually a great idea. I love it. By the way, thank you for calling the waste of space. I used to work on that, but thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> Jesse, one idea. Okay. So I want all the. It, all the
7: media online, but let let's start with images. I want all the images online to not be, you know, dumb squares or or just, you know, rectangles, but to take on a Z axis so you can see all their history, all the interactions people have had with them throughout wow. the, you know their traversing of, of the metaverse. And I think all that's possible because, you know, as we touched on today, the you know, the blockchain tracks ownership, it tracks who interacts with things. It's it's essentially a social graph. And if we're talking about sort of an immersive visual experience like you should be able to traverse all that visually i want to see a z-axis for all the the stuff that we're um you know visually experiencing online
1: i love that but i think you know uh, in some ways you know i would love for browsers to do more of that for example i would i think you know jesse i think a browser plugin could probably get to some of that like even today yeah totally i mean like
7: all the data is there like think about nft is like you see this in the nft marketplaces um all the data is on chain it's just a matter of surfacing it and then, you know, when we think about sort of 3D or, or these like immersive worlds, there's there's the opportunity to, to sort of, you know, mm-hmm. display it in, in, a, in a fully immersive way, which would be cool. I love that. Donnie, one idea.
2: Oh, man. Um, so I don't know if this is this is OK. I'm just going to say it. So I basically want to have a I want like Uber or basically Lyft drivers. I want them to be a platform that, that, that is all on chain. That effectively anybody can build an application around. So it's not quite metaverse, but it's a little bit inverted on the way that the traditional model is built. So you can, you as a user, can basically, you know, I, I could be a driver for any of these platforms all at the same time, and it's really up to the user by which way they want to actually access me as a driver. Um, I think that that's an interesting use of sort of like interoperable data uh, that many platforms could use.
1: Okay, that, I love that. I like that, um, Jonathan. Yeah, this is
4: not a particularly insightful answer, but um, you know, just personally, like. I would love to see essentially a fitness app in the metaverse, which basically is immersive and makes the act of actually working out, you know, social, massively, massively multiplayer. And also, you know, just enables creators that, you know, have gym classes and followings and so on, basically taking the best of sort of Peloton and putting that in, a, you know, in, 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 sort of a, in, in a metaverse setting. And sort of the app that I, that I'm working backwards from is I, I love supernatural, which is, um, Uh, a vr fitness app which is basically beat saber except you're you're actually working out the trainers and like i've always i've always thought hey like what if what if you could actually have this and like a massive multiplayer setting and so um that's that's what i would like to see personally
1: (laughs) i like that Uh, yeah well after you know 15 months of covid and sitting at home i could probably use that last but definitely not least jared you know one and this could be web 3 this could be metaverse i think these terms all really collide in interesting ways but one idea or app or you know something you want to see people build
6: yeah, so uh, so I'll I'll lean on a macro trend that I really want to see happen, which is um, individuals being able to keep their identity throughout every experience on the web. You know, we've we've kind of come through the past decade signing into each site via OAuth, creating individual profiles, having things be very particular to a platform or a system, and I think. As we build more seamless ways to onboard the wallets, I think the opportunity for individuals to keep hold of their identity and effectively have the same profile and user experience throughout any site, right? We kind of see that through OpenSea and a lot of the marketplaces you go to your profile and it's just pulling all the information from your wallet is something that's really just gonna change the way that we work on the web. And I think it's gonna put a lot of value in the hands of, of the consumers and the users. I think it's gonna really blow up kind of the way that the business models work on the web today, You know, where advertising is basically built on being able to target you based on behavior through the browser, I think this notion of individuals being able to hold their identity, have it be interoperable, uh, gives a ton of value to what currency starts to look like on the web, where it's really no longer about paying for access or seeing ads in order to get free access, but really seeing data as Mm -hmm. a tool for currency exchange. And we're really trying to see what that value is in in
1: the ways. I love to see it because like some of the other ideas. This is actually possible today. I'm kind of surprised that a major browser manufacturer hasn't built the equivalent of MetaMask and you know uh, recognizing reverse ENS lookups into the browser today because this is should be possible today.
6: Yeah, I want to see it.
1: I mean, it's yeah. kind of.
6: I mean, I mean, it's not possible, right? Because there's so many there's so many things that would break, and there's so many businesses right. that are relying on the on that not happening. But I think we're moving closer and closer and closer to that. So,
1: well. Okay, well, I I love all of this and, you know, I think we're out of time. I want to first thank everybody in the audience for tuning in. This was so much, so much fun. We're barely scratching the surface. Uh, you know, we're probably gonna do a lot more of these with, you know, I think we're kind of taking a crypto angle today, but we're gonna do a lot more of these with a lot more people. I wanna deeply thank everybody who joined us as guests uh and for the entire hour and made it in weird time zones. Uh, I think like some of our other crypto topics, you can tell that this is just the beginning and this is just super exciting. And honestly, I just can't wait to see you know what all of you wind up building and what winds up happening here. So thank you all so much for joining us.